Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. <laughs> Y'all are happy to be here, it sounds like. It's a holiday weekend, right? You know, a long weekend, and here we are. What better way to... Uh, to celebrate than to be together and to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. And we're doing that in the book of Daniel, where we've been for the last month or so. And we're in Daniel chapter 6. We're wrapping this all up. And in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is an old man. He's gone from a young man to an old man, and he is on his third king. And he's not done. There's a fourth in the wings. Third king second kingdom. So he's worked his way through Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, the Babylonian Empire, and he has outlasted them all and proved his worth so that every successive king wants this guy. So here he is, the Medes have taken over, Cyrus is king, and Daniel is still the man. In fact, he's a part of a triad, three leaders, And Cyrus has decided, rumor has it, that Daniel's going to be the man. None of this three-way leader. This guy, he gets it done. The problem is, the other two guys in the triad hear the rumor. And so they start plotting. Who is this odd outsider Jewish holdover. We just need to deal with him and get him out of the way. Political dirty tricks are nothing new, right? So they start looking for dirt on this guy, and there's nothing. How does that happen? How do you spend a lifetime in public office and there's nothing? In fact, they come to the point where they decide the only way to get this guy is through his religious observance. Everybody knew Daniel had always been kind of an awkward outsider. And occasionally, over the years, his faith in the one true God would have put him in awkward positions. It would have left him as an outsider, an outcast, going against the flow. And they decide, that's how we'll get him. And so they play to the king's vanity. Hey, king, you are the one we should all be worshiping, and we have an idea. For the next 30 days, we think you should issue an edict that no one should pray to any other of the pantheon of gods except for you for 30 days. And if they do, toss them to the lions. In the heat of the moment, the king thinks, that's a great idea. I like that, people worshiping me. What's not to like? The law is passed. A law that can't be changed. Of course, you may remember the rest of the story. Daniel hears the law, and he goes home, and he prays just like he's always prayed. And they got him. They've got him. 
They bring him before the king, and they say, sorry, one of your prized leaders broke the rules. The king realizes his mistake, and he looks for a way to reverse it, but the law is irreversible. And regretfully, he oversees Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. This is the stuff of every Sunday school class ever, isn't it? The picture of the pit, the lions pacing around. I've got one picture in my mind of Daniel standing like this. I don't know if he was that brave, but maybe. The story tells us that God miraculously shut up the mouths of the lions. They decided, eh, not our flavor. And the next morning, the king comes out and he, he calls down, Daniel, has the God you serve been able to save you? <laughs> and Daniel says, yes, yes, he has. Talk about winning. In fact, let me read to you uh, the conclusion of the story. It is an epic tale of winning. Here's what happens next. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children and the lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. I do not remember that part from Sunday school. <laughs> like, this would, I mean, you want to get junior high boys into church? Draw pictures of that. Sorry. Some of you are like, that's terrible. It's there. I'm just reading the Bible. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus. <laughs> Epic. I mean, talk about winning. We love winning, and it's part of what makes this story so appealing. We win, right? The story finishes, Daniel's alive, the bad guys are dead, torn to shreds, and Daniel's in charge of everything. But let me ask you a question. Is that what winning always looks like? Is winning only outcomes? Are we only winning when others are losing? 
The score goes in our favor. Victory is ours and everybody sees it. Is that the only definition we have of winning? If so, we're doing a lot of losing. You may already see where I'm going with this, or you may sense it's not exactly as it seems. I think maybe this story is showing us a first thing, and part of that first thing is that we need a new definition of winning. What does it look like to win and to be a winner? See, for me, I love those last verses. They feel victorious. Don't get me wrong. I love a good ending. In fact, I don't see sad movies because why pay to be sad? I can stay at home and do that for free when I pay bills. If I'm paying for a movie, I want a happy, good, that's just me. Let me show you where I see winning in this story. It's all the way back in verse 10. And here's what it says. It said, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. <laughs> oh, if this is a movie, this is the moment. Cue the music, enter the hero. You see, this is the moment. This is where the story is made. The story's not made in the lion's den. The story is made when Daniel goes home and opens that door and throws open the window and kneels down to pray. That's, that's the win. Daniel is a man of unusual courage. Here's what I'm saying. We, all of us, but specifically those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, need a better definition of winning. You see, a lot of people are willing to fight for something. A lot of Christians are willing to fight for something. In fact, I know a lot of Christians who are willing to fight about anything. <laughs> Separate message, we'll get to it someday. <laughs> a lot of us are willing to fight for something. In fact, some of us are willing to fight and die fighting for something. 
Isn't that the essence of this weekend? I, I did not uh, come through the military, though I've always admired men in the military. My dad served. I grew up next to a military base. Uh, moved to Cape Cod a lifetime ago. At least half of all the funerals I've done have been out at the National Cemetery. And I've always told people, what an honor to be buried here. I'll never get that honor because I didn't serve. But what an incredible honor. But over the years, I've come to see the stark distinction between Memorial Day and Veterans Day. If you don't serve in the military, it can just seem like they all go together. And, and Memorial Day is like, that's, uh, that's the first one at the beginning of the summer and cookouts and everything starts and the crowds show up and we can't get into Dunkin' Donuts anymore. That's the one, right? But, but we know that, that it's more than that. We know it's a day, but it's different than Veterans Day. And if you talk to military people, they're, they're quite, quite aware of this. And as a church, we're, we're very intentional about this because this weekend, this weekend is about those who've given their lives. It's not about those who've served. It's about those who've given their lives. And we're going to finish our service by recognizing those who've given their life in service to the country. We do it every year. And we let you stand. I was talking to one of my good friends, Dan Frawley, who's sitting right over here. He didn't know I was going to do this. But Dan served in the U.S. Navy as a fighter pilot. And over his seven years, lost five of his friends in battle and training exercises. What an enormous cost. And so we, we separate out this weekend those who are willing to, to not just fight, but who have paid the ultimate sacrifice. And then later this year on Veterans Day, we'll recognize, rightfully so, all of those who served. But... There's another level. Courage is not just the courage to fight. And I want to offer you this. It's not just the willingness to fight and die fighting. As admirable as that is. Jesus Christ introduces something new people who are willing to die, not fighting. People who are willing to die, serving. It's remarkable. Jesus would model it himself on the cross in the, the early church. In the first 300 years of the church, this, this little band of frightened disciples hidden in an upper room fearing for their lives after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ would somehow be so mobilized by the resurrection that they would go out and literally in a few hundred years time the world would change in 300 years and it changed not through the power of armies it changed through the testimony of martyrs. It was the most monumental moment in history. What we know as the church, 
the movement that we're a part of in Christianity exploded into the world, not through political might, not through armies, but through martyrs and sacrifice. Every one of the disciples would willingly give their lives as martyrs, and the world took notice. In fact, I was reading this the other day in uh, a new book by Andy Stanley called Not In It to Win It. And in it, he, he writes, a great little book worth reading. He, he writes, uh, quoting and commenting on another author, Bart Ehrman. Bart, if you've ever read, is a noted atheist and critic of all things Christian. But here, Andy says this and quotes him. He says, in 2018, Bart Ehrman published The Triumph of Christianity, How a Forbidden Religion Swept the World. And in it, Ehrman attempts to unravel one of history's great mysteries, perhaps history's greatest mystery, namely, how did a first-century movement launched by a dozen or so Galileans gain traction in the ancient world and go on to become a catalyst for cultural change that shaped the modern world? world. He then says this, Ehrman closes his book with an astonishing and honest assessment for someone so critical of the faith. Here's what he says. Christianity not only took over an empire, it radically altered the lives of those living in it. It was a revolution that affected government, practices, legislation, art, literature, music, philosophy, and on the even more fundamental level, the very understanding of billions of people about what it means to be human. However one evaluates the merits of the case, whether the Christianization of the West was a triumph to be treasured or a defeat to be lamented, no one can deny it was the most monumental cultural transformation our world has ever seen. Andy goes on to say, what most Christians and apparently most Christian leaders overlook is that the very change they hope to see in our nation in this generation happened on an even grander scale in another nation in a previous generation in the first century. The cross represented the cruelty of an empire. And by the fifth century, it represented the love of God. In the 18th century, Pope Benedict declared the Roman Colosseum a sacred monument dedicated to the suffering of Christ. The same Jesus who was viewed as a threat to the empire and consequently crucified by the empire. <laughs> Talk about winning. Maybe the most powerful proof of faith is the courage to die for something. The courage to endure shame and ridicule of being an outsider, of not fitting in, of losing. And suffering. 
Maybe the surest proof that what we believe is actually true and just not self-serving is suffering and enduring. So, that's heavy. Where does that kind of courage come from? Maybe you've read the story of Daniel walking into that room and praying and think, I don't know if I do that. Where does it come from? Where does, where does courage that changes us so much we'd be willing to die for something come from? We have a word for it's a word that's sort of steeped in Christian culture. It's the word conviction. Where we believe something at our deepest level. And I think this verse that we just read, verse 10, actually, actually gives us a, a, a pathway. It shows us a little bit of what it looks like. to have conviction. Because I think it shows us two things, and let me share these and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. It, it shows us um, identity and presence. Let me, let me show you what I mean by that. But when Daniel learned, verse 10, that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down. <laughs> this, is the, this is the part, as usual, in his upstairs room, second floor, these aren't like skyscrapers. With its, this is the operative part. With its windows open. <laughs> windows open. For I would, everything in me would convince myself that I had forgotten to open the windows. Like, you, you, they knew, they, they knew this guy, this guy, he prays every day. With the windows open. This is so easy. And Daniel, Daniel hears it and he goes home and <laughs> it's time. It's time. And he goes up to his room that he always prays in. And he has a decision to make. Do I open the windows? Because if I don't open the windows, nobody knows. It's all good. Uh, do you open the windows? Because I'm not sure I open the windows. I'm being honest here. Are you, there's a part of me that's like, God can hear my prayers if the windows aren't open. I mean, let's be honest. How many of us are uncomfortable praying at a table because the waitress might show up? That was nervous laughter right there. <laughs> and we're like, oh, I don't want to make her awkward. And... I, I get it. I'm the same way. I pray fast. It's spiritual, but it's fast, folks. Don't, don't think poorly of me. It's, they're, they're very theologically rich fast prayers. <laughs> Daniel is... I mean, he... Because... 
This is who Daniel was. It was his identity. It was his as usual. It was who he was. You see, identity defies pragmatism. Let me say that again. Identity defies pragmatism. Identity says, uh, I'm this. I have to do that. I'm this. I can't do that. I want to do that. It'd be easier to do that. Other people are doing that. But I'm this. This is how I see myself. This is who I am. And my identity shapes who I am. And I am an open window, three times a day, facing out kind of person. That's who I am, Daniel is saying. Do you see where identity comes from? It's how we see ourselves. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. And because our identity is as a Christ follower, it, it forms in us these growing convictions about how we see the world and how we live our lives. Ah, there's one other thing, though, in this passage, and it's so easy to miss, and that is presence, right? It, because, because conviction, conviction comes not just from identity, but it comes from the presence of God in our lives. It comes from, from experiencing his presence and knowing his presence and living in his presence. And in fact, Here's what it says. It says, Daniel learned law had been signed. He went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open toward Jerusalem, and he prayed. Right? This three times a day. This is where he, he experienced God's presence. This is, this is where his life was his life was managed around this process where he would stop the, the hurry and worry of life and he would just, he would find himself in the midst of whatever was happening, he would find himself in God's presence because there's something about being in his presence that just transforms us. And here's what's easy. It's easy to look at this three times a day thing and see ritual, but, but it's not just ritual. It's something else. It's relationship. This is where, this is where his life was grounded. He came back to this three times a day and he grounded himself in this right and this is where this ritual was where the rich relationship was was built and it's not just it's not just a habit it's not just a practice because it was just a practice he he could just give it up he could just you can you can change your rituals but this was this was where his relationship it's where he experienced the presence of God it was at the core of who he was don't, don't pass this off as just a, a ritual because, because rituals are where rich relationship is built. So I, I told Tammy I was going to tell this, but um, so Tammy and I have a, we've, you've probably got the same thing. We've got, what I realized thinking about this is a ritual and, and this is her ritual, but I'm, I have to be involved in it. So her ritual is this, that I cannot leave the house without giving her a kiss goodbye. Cardinal rule number one. 
And I'm usually the first one up, and I'm, sometimes I'm out before shot, and I've got to come in, and I've got to just, you know, quick kiss on the cheek, and off I go. And you probably have gathered, I'm kind of a, let's go, let's go, let's go, right? You know, kind of run, gun, dun, 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 dun. So I just got to give it to her, and and, and then, you know, and, and if we're both up, it's like, okay, I got to go, I got to go, where are you at, where are you at, where are you at? And I got to give you a kiss, because it's like, it's ritual, like, you do not. And sometimes, I'll get so busy, I'll, I'll leave, and I'll forget. And I'll get a text. <laughs> you forgot to kiss me. <laughs> this is a true story. Like, like, you forgot to kiss me. Sometimes I'll, like, text back a kiss emoji. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes she graciously accepts that. And she'll send a kiss emoji back. And other times, she'll send a frowny face back. <laughs> and if I get frowny face, I know. Turn the car around. You're going home. Like, it's not worth it, people. Whatever I'm going to, they'll understand more than she will. And roll it back. The hardest part, though, is sometimes I leave without kissing her because I'm mad at her. It's true. Happened once like 10 years ago. <laughs> you, you know, and the marriage tensions come up and, you know. And I'll get ready to leave and we're fighting. You know what she does? She doesn't wait. She's like, you forgot to kiss me. <laughs> you really want an angry kiss? <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, this woman. Back I go. You see, ritual sometimes is what grounds us in relationship. It, it's a constant reminder. It's a bringing back in a hurry, worried life. And it's, uh, it's something else, too. It, when we're angry and when we're hurting and... And says, no, 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 no. You can't get away from me that easy. Do you see what's happening with Daniel? He's in his most dire moment. In this ritual, this place, the presence of God in his life is the one thing he needs more than anything. He has to be there. That's where conviction comes from. Identity and presence. In a very real way, every story in the Bible points to Jesus. Everyone. 
It's a part of a narrative that's getting us ready for what Jesus would do. Because Jesus would live this out. If you have any doubt, even a shred, about the efficacy, the power to change lives in the world of enduring suffering and being willing to serve and die. Look at Jesus, who made of himself no reputation, but took on himself the form of a servant and endured the cruelty and the shame of the cross so that you and I could be saved. And the world has never been the same. So, if you're here and you're wondering what to do with Jesus because you're wondering what Jesus is like, there you go. That's who Jesus is. That's how he loved you. And that's why he invites you to embrace him as your savior. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. And maybe you need these few moments for just a a personal reset around courage and conviction. And this is your moment of living for Jesus, of seeing our life through a lens of identity in Him, through the power of His presence. Maybe you're here and today you're ready to say yes to Jesus Christ if that's you then I want to invite you just in the quiet of the moment or if you're watching online to just quietly bow your heart and by that I mean humble before God to say yes to him you might pray something like this. Dear God, you know me, everything about me. I couldn't hide it, and today I don't want to. I confess every fault, every sin, every stumble, every shameful, embarrassing thing. I give it to you. Today I accept your grace, your forgiveness, your cleansing once and for all. Jesus Christ, I trust you and you alone as my Savior. Help me now to live my life fully for you. In Jesus' name, amen.